You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at the final roster moves for the Winnipeg Jets heading into the season. We're going to take a look at the schedule for the month of October. And of course, we've got your central preview. We're going to take a look at all the teams in the central division and kind of predict where each of them are going to land. And of course, we'll wrap things up with your Winnipeg Jets. All right, so for segment number one, before we break down the Central Division and before we look at the schedule coming up, I think we kind of need to look at the Winnipeg Jets team. They have now released the final roster. Uh, they have one extra guy. Uh, unfortunate for Nick Patan. Uh, we are condolences out to Patan and his family uh, with the passing of his father. Uh, so he actually doesn't count as a roster player right now. And so we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, but so he's not with the team at this moment. So the Jets have... Uh, an extra player on the roster right now. And so, Kyle, when you saw that final roster and you saw who was all on it, any surprises or anything that really stuck out for you? Well, this is kind of a weird situation, just the way how everything unfolded, uh, because Batan started training camp with the Jets, and he and he was in the mix as a bubble player, uh, and now getting that uh, non-roster status uh, exemption from the NHL makes this a little bit interesting because the Jets were going to have to narrow it down to 23. We knew that. But with this whole situation going on, they actually only had to limit it to 24, so they got to keep an extra player, uh, at, at least right now. So the Jets kind of had to defer maybe their hardest decision uh, until Nick Patan comes back, uh, because how it worked is the Jets sent down, uh, most notably Sammy Niku, uh, along with a bunch of other players o- over the weekend, last week, uh, and then got rid of Spotchak, got rid of Stanley, uh, essentially were formalities. They were both uh, injured, so they didn't get sent down with the first batch of players. They were both assigned to the Moose, and, and you essentially had this one cut left. The Jets were at 25 players, had to get down to 24 with the Batan exemption, like we mentioned. It was essentially between Lemieux and Pullman is what it came down to. Uh, at that point, the Jets had eight defensemen, uh, so they elected to send Pullman down to run the typical seven defensemen um, along with uh, two goalies and 13 fo- or 14 forwards uh, to elect to go with the, the more typical route that most, most teams go, and that's why they kind of had Pullman being sent down over Lemieux. Now, in our last podcast, we were talking about this pros and cons, and I don't think there's too many surprises. We were both kind of pulling for Sammy Niku to make this roster, but we understand why he gets sent down. Because of waiver exemptions, he can go down to the moose. Nobody can claim him. You don't see a lot of players getting claimed, but... You did see that with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Both of their goalies, Pickard and McElhaney, both getting claimed off of waivers as they tried to send them down. And then they actually traded away a defenseman who potentially could have been claimed as well. And so there is a prime example of what happens when you have a lot of extra really good players. And so that's probably what could have happened for the Winnipeg Jets had they sent down Sherratt or sent down Morrow. And so for sending down Niku and Poolman, it's kind of what we talked about, just kind of made sense. And so now the guy who are kind of on the bubble that we identified, Dano, uh, Lemieux, Veselainen, uh, Patan, those kind of four guys on the bubble. One more guy still has to go down. It's not going to be one of the defensemen, Sherrod or Morrow. It's going to be one of these forwards. And just the way the Jets have gone in years past, it's usually the guy who can pass through waivers easily. To me, I think it's probably going to be, uh, depending on how the season starts, but I'm going to say Lemieux. Yeah, and that's definitely fair. And like you said, you kind of went over a bunch of different categories there. But 
like we talked about just a few minutes ago with Patan and this whole waiver exemption, well, it actually made the Jets' decision easier this week. In the moment. But next week, it's going to get a whole heck of a lot harder because now you have Patan coming back looking for a spot in the NHL, and now you're over that limit. So like you said, you're going to have to get rid of one player probably as early as next week. Um and I think it's between Lemieux and Patan. Uh, we haven't seen Dano play in the AHL virtually at all in, in his time with Winnipeg. Uh, he's been in that press box role. I think he's played six games total with the Manitoba Moose over the last three seasons that he's been here. So I think Dano's locked in, essentially guaranteed. Um, Veselainen's been skating alongside Roslevic and Ehlers in practice. He's essentially a lock to be on the opening day lineup, not just on the roster card like Dano is. Um, so I think Veselainen's spot is is kind of safe, at least for the first couple weeks of the season. For at least the first nine games, I would imagine. Well, it, it, exactly. Um, and then it's pretty much Lemieux and Patan. The interesting thing about Veselainen and his contract status, uh, a slightly different kind of entry-level slide um, being an overseas player. Um, I have to look into a little bit more details, but I don't think it is the actual nine game like you would see a junior player. It's a little bit of a different entry-level slide if you wanted to delay that contract another year. So, But they are still able to delay that contract another year if he goes back to Finland. Uh, I don't actually know. Well, I guess that's something we should probably... look into, I guess, for the next podcast. Yeah, because the rule is he can go back to Finland. That's not the problem. Um, Just the fact that if they could save that extra year of his contract, I believe if he goes back to Finland, that is the only way it can still be saved. I'm not sure what the threshold of games is. Because if he plays in the AHL, it'll still burn a year of his entry-level contract. So the only way that Veselainen might be saved is going back to Finland, and we have to check the details on that, and we'll follow up on that next week. All right. so now taking a look at, just kind of wanting to mention uh, Nick Patan again, uh, really feel for the guy, a passing of his father. We don't know when he's going to be back. Uh, This could be a week. This could be a couple weeks. And it's kind of going to be up to the player to a certain degree when he feels he's ready to come back. And he might not get in the lineup right away again if the Jets feel he's not in the right headspace to get back in the game as well. Well, definitely. And he might not even been in the roster regardless. Talking about Veselainen before, skating alongside Ehlers and Rosdevik. If they start to play well together, Patan essentially has no shot to be in the lineup on a daily basis. He's kind of fighting just to stay with uh, the Jets organization. I think if he's coming off of a few weeks without playing, uh, maybe not quite as in the best shape if he's taken a couple weeks off, um, off of skating, things like that. I think he might very well be the one that gets sent down to the Manitoba Moose trying to go through waivers and that sort of thing um, just due to the fact he's not been around the team for a couple weeks. And and Lemieux, on the other hand, gets to practice with the team. He gets to show his stuff every single day with these guys. He's practicing. He's making an impression on the coaching staff. Um, So kind of just an added benefit to Lemieux during this time as well. I just don't think they're going to send Patan down because I think he would get claimed off of waivers. That's why I think that they're not going to send Patan down right away when he gets back. I think they're obviously going to get him either in the press box or in the lineup, I think Lemieux would be the guy who's go down because Lemieux is still waiver exempt. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. The last interesting thing to mention is that Patan's deal is actually a two-way deal, uh, essentially meaning that his minor salary is nothing compared to his NHL salary. So a, a huge discrepancy there. The interesting thing is Tucker Pullman has a one-way contract, so good on him to fight for that one-way deal. 
despite getting demoted to the AHL, he's still making his NHL salary. So he's making almost 10 times the amount he'd be making if, as if he had a two-way contract. Just one more thing to kind of look at for these individual players. It's a big deal to them being in the NHL or the AHL because like I said, they're making sometimes 10 times the amount if you're with the NHL club. Because uh, Pullman's contract is just over $700,000 if he's in the NHL. Or that's it doesn't regardless, matter. Yeah. NHL or and AHL. so a lot of players would go from seven hundred thousand down to like seventy thousand playing that's in the Nick AHL. Case. Exactly. So uh, obviously Nick Patan's wanting to stay with the big club, but he's got those waivers to kind of protect him and keep him in the NHL. So that's kind of going to wrap up a look at the rosters. Uh, we're not going to get into lines. We're going to break that down too much today. We want to look at kind of the schedule now coming up for the month of October and the start of the season. All right, so before we get to this next segment and looking at the schedule for October, uh, Kyle actually has some contract updated. We just spent a couple of minutes, and we've now researched, and we know what's going on with Veselainen's contract. So this is a weird one. There's so many moving parts, and each guy's contract is so unique, Veselainen being unique as in he's coming from Europe. Uh, so he's available to go back to Europe um, this year, which will obviously mean his, his entry-level slide would occur his contract would run for another three years after this year that actually still applies if he gets sent down to the Manitoba Moose. So the only way Veselina's contract um, does not slide is if he spends 10 games in the NHL playing with the Winnipeg Jets. So that means Veselina can be sent down to the Moose, play an entire season there, and that'll actually slide his deal for another three years after that. A um, little bit of debate going on. Some people are saying it doesn't size. Some people are saying it does. Uh, it, it does look like he has to play the NHL games um, for his contract not to slide. Because of his age and a lot of other yeah, a lot Yeah, a lot of different factors coming in. Essentially because he's 19. Um, Sammy Niku being kind of the comparable because he's already 20 or, or signed the deal when he was 20. His contract cannot slide playing at the AHL level is considered a year of pro hockey because of his age. And, and that's kind of exactly. where that comes and in. And so this is considered a junior for Veselainen because of his age. Okay, so now looking at the schedule for the Winnipeg Jets for October, they start things off tomorrow night. Games finally mean something tomorrow. How excited are you? Oh, well, I'm really pumped. And I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Uh, I, I, I actually wrote an article about it on, on Jets Nation, kind of the schedule, but... One of the one of my favorite days of summer is when the schedule is released, and a lot of people talk about the draft and free agency and all that stuff. But when you get to circle a date on your calendar and have something to to look forward to, it's just a unique situation when the schedule gets released. And like you said, we're pretty much here. Uh, I'm so pumped to finally be watching hockey again. See, it's interesting because for me, the schedule doesn't mean much. I obviously I look forward to that first game and I want to know when that first date is, but some people are, and I don't have season tickets. And so that's different for, I guess, people who have season tickets and who are going to be going to games and investing in that way. And some people look forward to certain matchups and they actually write it on their calendar and make sure they're tuning in. For me, I try and catch most Jets games and I usually don't look much further ahead than the week in front of me. If I can know what games are that week. I'll maybe plan some of my evenings around it during the week, but I don't actually go to a lot of games. So unless I'm going for like a special bobblehead night or buying tickets for a game here or there, uh, the schedule doesn't have a huge impact on me personally. But looking at the games ahead this month, uh, what are your thoughts on the Jets' schedule and the way things start? Yeah, so a couple of things you mentioned, actually. Bobblehead night. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go a couple of years ago. I got a Shifley bobblehead. It's one of my most prized Jets possessions. It uh, sits beside my TV and, and watches over the Jets every single night. Uh, just so much fun to get that. They're having a, a 
Truba bobblehead night uh, during the first home game, and that'll be next Tuesday um, when LA comes to town. Um, that's the first home game. I believe it's the the 11th. Um, that's not right. The 11th what? The 11th. Uh, it's the 9th of October. Sorry, the 9th of October. It'll be next Tuesday, the 9th of October, when LA comes to town. So the Truba bobblehead night. If you remember, actually, I believe it was last year, two seasons ago, when they had Truba bobblehead night, and he uh, got injured literally the game before his own bobblehead night, and everybody had his bobblehead, and he was uh, not in the lineup being a couple of years ago. But yeah, you mentioned the schedule uh, opens up quickly. Um, the Jets are traveling to St. Louis, and... Uh, I believe they're traveling actually today, play St. Louis on Thursday, and then they move over to Dallas for a little two-game uh, road trip playing the Stars on Saturday night as well. Okay, now looking at some of these matchups, uh, some tougher ones to start in some division rivals. You got the Blues, you got the Stars, the Predators, all within the first four games. There's some softer matchups, uh, and I'm looking at the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, I'm looking at you, Carolina. They also play the Canucks, they play Arizona, they play Detroit at the end of the month, so four of the easier teams, if you will. They have another date with the Blues, uh, and then a couple of dates at the end of the month with the Maple Leafs, and those will be some tougher ones uh, playing a team that a lot of people are expecting to be very good. Yeah, so you say tougher. I find the schedule actually is quite easy for the Winnipeg Jets if you dissect it a little bit. I have an article coming out on Jets Nation doing exactly this, dissecting the schedule. So just looking at it quickly, like you said, three out of the first four games are against Central Division opponents. Not Oh yeah, three out of four. And, four, and yeah. that's fine. So you start on the road. A lot of people think starting on the road is better to get your mind in focus. It feels more like a more like a hockey season when you're on the road. Uh, some would argue rather than starting at home. But then the Jets, after those first two weeks, they get their longest homestand of the year uh, in the middle of October. Here, it's a six-game homestand. It's spanning eleven days. That's their longest homestand of the entire season. If you remember back to last year, they had that ridiculous homestand where they didn't leave. Uh, Winnipeg for the month of February. We're not going to have that this year. This six-game homestand is the longest. Beyond this one, there's only four-game homestands for the rest of the season. So there's no other extended period at home. This is a great time for the Jets to really buckle down and and move to the top of the Central Division with all these home games. Uh, And then, like you said, the opponents, kind of the last thing, um, only three teams of this entire month are teams that made the playoffs last season. So it's a pretty easy... um, easy schedule. I would say you could argue some of these teams got better like St. Louis and Dallas, uh, but you do have to play the Predators and the Maple Leafs, uh, two of the better teams in the league, but the rest of these teams, only three out of 10, like I said, made the playoffs. So you're looking at some weaker competition uh, in the month of October. Okay. So for our final segment, breaking down the Central Division, there's seven teams in the Central Division, the Winnipeg Jets, obviously, Nashville, Chicago, Minnesota, Colorado, St. Louis and Dallas in no particular order. So I've just that's just the order I have them written down here on my page in front of me. So let's kind of look at them one by one. And last year uh, in the season preview, we kind of predicted the Winnipeg Jets. I predicted the Jets making the playoffs. You projected the Jets missing the playoffs. I just want to point this out one more time. And I know we've done this a lot. Uh, or at least I've brought this up many times, but we kind of went through each team in the Central Division. I said why they would miss the playoffs. Kyle said why they would make it. And then we went over the Winnipeg Jets and why we each thought they would make or miss the playoffs. Well, we were both very uh, happy to see the Winnipeg Jets make the playoffs last year, go on that incredible run through the postseason, finishing second in the entire league in the regular season, finishing in the top four in the playoffs. 
All in all, great season for the Jets. So what's going to happen this year? Let's wrap up with the Jets, and we'll start with the opponents first. We're going to start with Nashville. So just looking at some key additions for Nashville, Dan Hamus, Zach Ronaldo, Jared Tenorti, Connor Brickley, and they lost Emmeline Fisher and Hartnell. Just your quick thoughts seeing that? Uh, yeah, so Nashville didn't do much. There's, there's not huge names. Um, they maybe bolstered their third pairing with Dan Hamuse. Uh, he's taking kind of Emmeline's spot. But beyond that, Mike Fisher only came in halfway through the year. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he starts doing that every year, uh, that sort of thing. Maybe. Um, getting that veteran leadership. But you're not really gaining much. You're not really losing much. Well, he likes hunting season. And so hunting season's in the fall. Well, yeah. So maybe he joins in December. We'll see. Uh, but Nashville realistically looks pretty much the same as last year. All their big pieces are in place. Uh, they still have their goaltending. They still have their top defensemen. Uh, they look to be a lock for for one of the top divisional spots. Yeah, I think Nashville is going to make the playoffs. I think though that uh, it could come down to. Uh, goaltending. I think we could see this season the switch to UC Saros a little bit more. Uh, I think Pecorine obviously had a terrible playoffs when he was pulled multiple times against the Jets. And then he wins the Vesna Trophy. Yeah, it's funny how that goes, right? It's those regular season awards versus playoff awards, right? And that's a prime example right there. And so how he plays during the regular season, is he going to keep it up? And I think you could say this with every team. Are they going to get the goaltending? That's a big part of making the playoffs, and it's a big part of missing the playoffs, too. And so Nashville, I think, though, with their defensive core and a lot of their key guys up front coming back, I think we're going to, again, peg them down for a a playoff spot at the least. Okay, so next up, uh, Chicago Blackhawks missing the playoffs last year. They added Chris Kunitz, Cam Ward, Brandon Manning, Marcus Kruger, and they got rid of... Well, Hosa was out already last season, but he's no longer with the team. Vinny Hinestroza, Patrick Sharp, Michael Roosevelt, uh, Lance Boma, Cody Franzen, Anthony Duclair. Thoughts? Yeah, so a lot of people are predicting Chicago to be uh, at the basement of the division, and, and I understand that. They're kind of on a downwards trend. Uh, a lot of people forget that Chicago was actually a competitive team until Corey Crawford got injured last year around Christmas time. From there, it totally fell off the map without Crawford. If Crawford can stay healthy uh, with these issues, they have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs, and a lot of people don't realize that. If Crawford is hurt, can't find the consistency after these injuries, I think Chicago will be near the bottom, but I think, like you said, goaltending is a huge factor. I think their season hinges on Crawford staying healthy, and they have a shot to make the playoffs if he is. Now, I kind of agree with you that Crawford is a big deal, but I also think that even if Crawford is healthy, I think they're still going to struggle to make the playoffs because their core is, again, another year older. And I know Patrick Kane's working very hard to regain some of his old form, but they still don't have... They, they lost Patrick Sharp, and again, you can whether or not he was really a pro. I don't think adding Chris Kunitz is going to make that big a difference. Really, any of their additions, I don't think are going to make that big a difference. And they're losing some guys who were decent parts of that lineup, whether it's Cody Franzen, Patrick Sharp, Michael Roosevelt, Lance Boma. I just don't know if they've been doing enough to make the playoffs in a very tough Central Division. I'm going to predict that they miss the playoffs. Okay, next up, uh, Minnesota. They added Matt Hendricks, so I think right there, automatically going to get them into the playoffs this year. Uh, Matt Reed, Eric Fair, Andrew Hammond, JT Brown, losing Kyle Quincy, Matt Cullen, Daniel Winnick. Thoughts on Minnesota? Um, Just quickly before Minnesota, last thing about Chicago, I find it interesting they're adding some of the older players as well, uh, bringing in some of these guys. I think it's because they believe they still have a shot to win. A lot of teams you see, if they're on a downward trend, try a retool or a rebuild, not Chicago. 
they're still on a path because they think they have a chance to win a cup from their minds. That's kind of the last thing to note on them. Uh, Minnesota, I think, is on a severe downward trend. They've been kind of a perennial playoff team for a number of seasons, super consistent. Uh, but you're, you're bringing in guys that are old and that can't keep up with with the speed in the NHL. Guys like Eric Fair, uh, Matt Hendricks. And, and yeah, maybe they can play on a fourth line every once in a while, but they're not going to help your team enough to really um, make you improve over last season. Um I think Minnesota's kind of a bubble team if they make the playoffs or not. Yeah, I think they didn't lose too many players. They didn't really add much either. So again, I would put them in that bubble category. Here's kind of an interesting one. I know you used to be a Colorado fan before the Winnipeg Jets came back, and I'm sure you still have some allegiances to the Avalanche. They added Philip Grubauer, Brooks Orpik, uh, Matt Calvert, Ian Cole, and Scott Kosmachunk. But then they got rid of Orpik. And so that's not really an addition because... This is a fun one. If you remember that 24 hours... Uh, Washington traded Brooks Orpik away. Colorado bought him out of his contract, and then he re-signed with Washington all in a 24-hour period, essentially just to get Washington um, out of a, a cap crunch because Orpik had a high cap hit. So now he's on Colorado's books, and they got Grubauer out of that whole process. Just a weird um, skirt around the cap for the Washington Capitals uh, and the Avalanche uh, last season. Now, I think this is good for the Avalanche, but I think this is also, and I was looking at some of the advanced stats, and I know you've written, written about all these teams in great detail, but their PDO, which is kind of a luck stat based on, that is, correct me if I'm wrong, shooting percentage divided by save percentage? Shooting percentage plus save percentage. Shooting percentage plus save percentage. And so basically, are you scoring more than your... What does that tell you again? So essentially, if your goalie's saving way more than normal, he's going to have a high shooting or high save percentage. If you're scoring on a way more per, more percentage of your shots than normal, you're scoring more goals than you probably should. You're not allowing as many goals as you probably should be. A lot of these factors can wildly fluctuate during one season, but over the course of an entire season or multiple seasons, it ch- tends to regress back towards league norms. Right. So a PDO of one would be average. Essentially out of 100, one, same thing, yes. Right, or 100, sorry. And so the Colorado Avalanche this last year, they had a pretty high PDO, well above that, when all of their seasons before that were below. And so somebody was saying, or I think you were even kind of noting kind of regression back to the norm. I think Colorado, they have some younger guys like Tyson Jost and Tyson Berry still developing and getting getting more comfortable in the league. I don't even know if he could, he's been in around for a while. I don't even know if you can still say that anymore. But they do have some younger players. They lost Blake Como, Neil Yakupov, not a huge loss. They added Matt Calvert. I think he can be a depth player. Philip Grubauer, I think, could be their starting goaltender by the end of the year. Uh, we'll have to see with Varlamov what he has to say about that. But Colorado, I think, is kind of a bubble team. They've got Nathan McKinnon and they've got that deadly top line, but after that, there is a little bit of a drop. Yeah, well, they made the playoffs last year, and the season you're kind of referencing, the super high PDO, uh, specifically was that year a few years back that they made the playoffs, where all the advanced stats community said, this team's not actually good, but then they made the playoffs. And the next year you saw that, they went right back down to the basement. Uh, So that's kind of how PDO works in a sense. Um, But Colorado's an interesting one. They have the absolute high-end pieces. Nathan McKinnon's a top-five player in the NHL. We saw that last year. Mikko Rantanen, along with McKinnon, phenomenal duo together. They have the firepower up front. Their defense is a little bit lacking. Varlamov is a little bit sketchy at times. Um, but they they are a bubble team. They made the playoffs last year in, in that final wildcard spot. They'll look to do that again. They're they're just going to kind of hang around and try to make a last season last 
end of the season push like they did kind of last season. I read a really good article about this on the Hockey News talking about the Ottawa Senators and we've talked about this a little bit in the past how the Ottawa Senators were one goal away from going to the Stanley Cup and that's what everybody always talks about and then the next year they dropped off a cliff and now you see Ottawa where they are right now and everybody predicting them to be at the basement and how Ottawa after getting that close to the Stanley Cup final, and when a lot of people or some people were pointing out that their numbers were saying that they were kind of getting lucky, their advanced stats weren't that great when they made it to that cup final, but they were getting a little bit lucky, they got some good goaltending, they kind of peaked at the right time, but underlying numbers said that they weren't actually that good. But then the next season, to try and get there, they went out and traded for Duchesne, and they kind of made some of those moves... And then that really didn't pan out. They lost Kyle Turris in that Duchesne trade. They lost some other pieces. And then their team kind of is now just kind of where it is now. And then they lose Eric Carlson and yada, yada, yada. Their team's not going to be that good. Colorado is the opposite. Colorado made the playoffs after a horrid season. They're on this upper trajectory, yet they didn't do too much in the offseason. They kind of stood pat, let some of their older guys or their younger guys come up give them a little bit more opportunity. And I think they're doing this the right way. And that's kind of what was pointed out in this article I was reading. Yeah. And they're kind of on this cusp of a rebuild where they're still kind of competing for the playoffs. But like you said, guys like Tyson, <coughs> Tyson Jost and, and Kale McCarr and some of these other guys that could come in in the next year or two, well, Tyson Jost already, uh, but some of these other guys who might come in in the next year or two might make a real impact, uh, not mentioning Ottawa's number one pick they're giving up to Colorado for the next draft. Could be a high one if, if Ottawa ends up winning the lottery. Colorado's getting a number one overall pick while still being a playoff team, it's almost unheard of in today's day and age. And so I think Colorado's doing this right and not rushing it, not trying to make some panic moves, kind of like Ottawa did, and kind of playing the long game, just like the Winnipeg Jets did. When you get a little bit of taste of success that one year in the playoffs, you don't necessarily sell the farm to try and stay in the playoffs. You stand pat and play the long game. And that's the Jets now reaping those benefits. Colorado potentially could in the future. And so now we want to get to the last two teams. These ones, to me, are kind of the most interesting. Nashville, I think, is a lock to make it. I think Chicago's going to miss. I think Minnesota's probably going to miss. Colorado on the bubble. And then St. Louis, Dallas, I think could be on the bubble. I don't really know uh, where these two teams are going to fall. You can make a case. Uh, St. Louis probably had the most overhaul of their lineup this offseason. Ryan O'Reilly, Tyler Bozak, David Perron, Chad Johnson, Patrick Maroon. Five players that are legitimate starters added to their roster. They're getting rid of Sabatka, Berglund, Stastny, who left at the trade deadline, Tage Thompson, and Carter Hutton. So your thoughts just seeing those moves initially? Well, it's interesting. They lose some very good pieces, but they bring back some very good pieces. Uh, St. Louis has now incredible center depth. They already had a good line uh, with Schwartz uh, on the top line with Shen playing fantastic. Uh, the Blues were a solid playoff team last year until Jaden Schwartz got hurt. He derailed their entire season. Uh, they ended up losing, I think, five straight games after he got hurt. Had a horrendous month of February. It all led to Stastny being shipped out of town when they were still in a pretty much a playoff spot. Two points out of the playoffs when Stastny got shipped out um, now. In the summer, they kind of half retool, rebuild. You're bringing in O'Reilly, you're bringing in Bozak. These are veteran players. Uh, they know how to play with multiple types of players, multiple different lines. Their center depth with Shen, O'Reilly, and Bozak is phenomenal. Arguably the top three centers of, of any team right now. If you're looking just at the center position, they could rival anybody in the league. So where do you have these guys? Not to mention Jake Allen had a rough season. 
if he improves, I think St. Louis could finish top two in the Central. I think, yeah, I think St. Louis definitely has a shot of making it back into the playoffs this year. I think they're going to be a definitely a tough test, and we're going to see them early uh, with the start of the season coming up. But like you said, I don't know if they can rival the best of the best. I think uh, if you look at Toronto, they probably have the best centers with Matthews, Tavares, and Kadri. I think those by far are probably the best three. But then you look in Pittsburgh, they've still got Malkin and Crosby, and I can't think of their third-line center. Do they still have Haglin on that third line? Oh, er, it wasn't even... It, no, it wasn't Haglin. He was on the third line, but um, either way, I, I still think that there are teams that would be better, or at least comparable. And so you're right. But St. Louis, very good. I think, yeah, you're right. Playoff team, starting to ramble. Let's go out to Dallas. Last team in the Central Division. Your thoughts? They added Roman Polak, Valerie Nachushkin, Anton Hudobin. They lost Lettinen, Hemhuis, and Roussel. Yeah, so Dallas didn't lose much. Uh, brought it in a little bit. They're an interesting team. They have, I would argue, it's the best line in hockey with Sagan, Ben, and Radulov. Absolutely phenomenal. Each of those guys scoring uh, in the 70-ish or more points last year. Uh, just a phenomenal line. Beyond that, they were brutal. They had no depth. Even the second line was bad. Nachushkin uh, should help a little bit, but they're Maybe. still... Maybe. They've had that experiment before. Well, he went to Russia. They drafted him. He went to Russia in the last couple seasons. Now he's back. Maybe he's going to help a little bit, but still, their depth is severely lacking. That that top line can only help them so much. They're just extremely top-heavy, and I can't see them being much more than maybe third in the division. Um, they might be fighting for a wild card spot depending on how it goes, but but they're a, a tough team to read heading into the season. Yeah, I definitely think there's a chance they miss the playoffs. And so now, looking at all of those teams, looking at the Winnipeg Jets, and we've talked so much about the Jets. This is the Jets Nation podcast, obviously. Your thoughts, where, do, where does Winnipeg fall? Where do they finish this season? TSN, they're projecting a cup win for the Winnipeg Jets. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's going to be Nashville and Winnipeg fighting out for the for the top spot. Like most people predict, I think it could very easily be like that. Um, as for third, I think it's between St. Louis and Dallas fighting for that third spot. And then I think the rest of the teams are kind of bubble teams between Colorado, uh, Chicago. You never know where those other teams are going to be finishing. So I think it's kind of uh, the two at the top, St. Louis, Dallas in the middle, and everybody else kind of fighting for that last kind of wild card spot. Yeah, I think the Winnipeg Jets' depth, I think just their lines are so stacked with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley on that top unit, no matter who's playing on their wing, especially Kyle Connor, the way he's just took off offensively. Patrick Laine, one of the best snipers in the game, playing on your second unit. I think he's going to be even better this season. And then guys like Nick Ehlers, who's really stepped up offensively. Uh, Jack Rozovic, I'm looking to have a good season. And we got to always keep in mind, Brian Little does contribute a lot. The defense looks solid. I don't have too many concerns on the back end. And yes, we look at it so... Sometimes we just talk about it in such great detail that we kind of lose the big picture. Like overall, the Jets' defense actually is quite good. When you think about it, when you think of Truba, Morrissey, Bufflin, and a lot of teams don't even have that many recognizable good players on their back end. And then, of course, Vesna candidate, it all does depend on the goaltending for all these teams. If the goalie gets hurt right away, it could be a real rough season. But if the goaltenders all stay healthy, I like the Winnipeg Jets shot. Yeah, talking specifically about the Jets is easy to nitpick. Uh, that's what we do here at Jets Nation. We're looking at the minute details 
of, of the lineup. You're looking at the backup goalie position. You're looking at the left shot, third pairing defender. You're looking at those things because we can. That's what we do. We're not looking that closely at these other teams, and those other teams aren't looking that closely at the Jets. They just see, as a general rule, you have Blake Wheeler, a 90-point guy, line a uh, two-time 40-goal scorer as a rookie and sophomore, Shifley, one of the premier centers, Bufflin, a monster, and, and a potential Vesna Trophy goalie in the back. So you're looking at, if you're not just, if you're only scratching the surface, the Jets are a fantastic team. When you start nitpicking, there are little places where you could improve, but I think this is about as good as the Winnipeg Jets can be heading into the season. Yeah, and I think they're prime, and I like all the cup predictions. I hope that they don't internalize that too much and kind of expect that. I hope they play hungry, and they play that they need to earn this. But I think uh, Maurice can do that for them, and I think uh, we're going to have a good season making the playoffs, and let's do it. Let's have a cup win. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at jetsnation.ca.